Hello and welcome to the award-winning Canine Hoopers World podcast. Everyone's invited. Hello everybody and welcome to season three, episode 16 of Canine Hoopers World, the podcast. Now this is going to be a soapbox episode. I can feel it coming and I'm warning everyone. Um, But it's one of my kind of passion subjects and I'm really excited to have this guest on today. Um, She has had several conversations started in kind of the pet industry, but also in the wider world as well and opening up people's eyes to what responsible breeding is and how we really need to be looking at pedigree dogs and making sure that we are doing best practice, but also improving breeds through health and not just worrying about the looks of them. So today I would like to introduce you to Jemima. Jemima, how are you? Thank you for joining me on the podcast. It is my pleasure, Karen. We are looking forward to having a feisty chat. I'm, I, do you know what? I think this is going to be a good one. We're going to get our teeth into this and I can tell it's going to be a cool one. So Joanne, for people who don't know you, um, aren't familiar with your work, um, who are you? What do you do? Right. I wear many hats, um, but the reason you've asked me on this is because in 2008, I made a BBC documentary called pedigree dogs exposed which I guess is uh, referred to as lifting the lid off the issue of detrimental breeding in purebred dogs Mm -hmm. and it was an issue that had been dealt with or or tackled by various people before me but I think the first time that it had a prime time audience on BBC One and it I think really fair to say that it was a water cooler moment in the UK Mm-hmm. and it uh, caused a huge fuss. I, I have a cuttings book here. We just couldn't believe it for the whole of the next year. The front pages of every newspaper, every magazine, honestly, almost every single one was mm. um, tackling the issue So and dealing with it. And it just kept on coming. You know, the RSPCA pulled out of crafts, the BBC pulled out of crafts, etc. So it caused huge reverberations. And it is an incredible, nearly 14 years on from that, and I'm still referred to as that woman. (laughs) That woman. And do you know what? Sometimes the label of that woman is one of the biggest compliments you can be given. (laughs) Well, I've developed a very thick skin over the years. So uh, (laughs) you have to deal with quite a lot when you stand up on this issue. So, uh, and I understand why people are, uh, you know, uh, angry and get upset about it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I turned their world upside down and from a world that really had been held in some esteem in some ways, you know, the Kennel Club and the Queen is the patron and Crufts and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and suddenly it was being seen in a different light. And so, but it needed to be very badly. Yeah, definitely. And the thing is, so, I mean, everyone has their own kind of opinions of crafts. Um, everyone has their own experiences of crafts. For me, I'll be honest, crafts is about networking, catching up with friends and watching some of the displays and some of the competition. Yeah. I'm not yeah. massively into showing myself. I used to show horses. So I've been kind of, I dipped a toe into the showing world and it's, it's a very crazy place to be and um it's the problem isn't just pedigree dogs I mean it does go across with 
horses and yeah, rabbits yeah. and cats and basically any any species that humans have messed about with in terms of how they're going to look you could argue has been detrimental to the species <laughs> uh, uh, you're absolutely right and increasingly my focus is not just on dogs but other species as well because i you know every domesticated species we've messed around with and in many uh, instances completely transformed them mm. and sometimes that transformation has been benign but I think uh, but very often it hasn't been mm. and particularly the show world has caused massive extremes so you're you used to show horses well mm. you know some of the in-hand horses are just ridiculous compared to the uh -huh. base form you know uh -huh. we're now seeing Shetlands with you know very short heads and Arabs with incredibly concave dished faces so yes. it's across the board and you know you look at some of these the show quarter horses in America and they just they barely look like horses anymore they look completely ridiculous they're cartoon versions aren't they they're not and I mean yeah. like talking about kind of dogs over here you know with how we've changed the breed and messed around with the breed you know I'm I'm a German Shepherd parent and yeah. a working line Shepherd and a show line Shepherd are in some cases complete extremes of each other. And it's almost like, are these even the same breed? And that's not all show Shepherds. I've met some absolutely beautiful show Shepherds that have lovely back ends and lovely backs, but when they're stacked correctly, they have that Shepherd stance. My own yeah. boy does that that show stance naturally with the one leg back and one leg under him. He's yeah. never been taught to do that. And every now and again, he'll just stop in a field and kind of just go, look at me and does his, what I call his show pose. That's yeah. not trained. That's a natural pose for them. But the show version of the shepherd has become so extreme that you watch the back ends and those dogs just aren't fit for function. We, um, we never intended to put German Shepherds in the film, actually. Um, and what happened was my other half, um, sorry, that's Princess Yappy. Don't worry, if there's yipping, we do not um, mind. Um, uh, <laughs> let me just try and distract that by <laughs> strangling her, or alternatively, throwing her. <laughs> Wait, um, that was a joke, people, that was a joke, okay? Oh my God. Jemima strangles dogs! This is a public honestly, service announcement, do not strangle your dog to shut it up, give it something yeah. to do instead, there we um, go, right? <laughs> the biscuit worked, fortunately, so I don't have to strangle her on this Perfect. occasion. Um, so, so yeah, we were, we were filming up at the Manchester Championship Dog Show, this is 2000 2008, I think, January 2008, and my other half, who is uh was my cameraman on pedigree dogs exposed mm -hmm. he he tootled off and was looking at things and i was somewhere else talking to bernie's mountain dog breeders actually about their woefully short lifespan of, of the dogs not the breeders and <laughs> and john came and clarify, just salt. clarify john said um you've got to come and see this so we went over to the German Shepherd ring and he'd done some footage of the dogs moving away um, and coming back. And then he said, look, look at this in slow motion. Um, and he played the camera back. Ivy, do you want to come down here and stop yapping? Thank you very much. <laughs> um, and um, he, and we looked at it and I just thought, 
oh my god these dogs were so unstable at the back end mm -hmm. that they're wobbling all over the place I was really extremely shocked and so it was his sharp eye really um that caught the German shepherds and you know I have to say Karen I think even the working ones have uh are not the dogs that <coughs> were the original German shepherds that we had in the time of Stefanitz mm -hmm. these I think even the working bred dogs have now got that sprung back. And although I think it's fine, and obviously a whole heap better than show dogs, you see yeah. the influence even there. And you know, there's a fantastic locomotion guy, called <coughs> Professor Martin Fisher, um, who um, <clears throat> I'm just going to try and find an ostrich bone for Princess <laughs> Yaku. Obviously, just just to hit her over the head with it obviously rather than give her. Again, we do not condone beating your dog with an ostrich bone to keep them quiet we advise you give the dog the ostrich bone rather than beating them with it that's exactly right you might have to do public safety announcements yeah as a, as a, as a first quarter call anyway it's here you go fine. Fine. We, we are most of the listeners feel your pain when you're trying to get involved in something and start a conversation and then one of the dogs has to get involved like it's a thing so we all feel your pain and we know what it's like so yeah going back to the shepherds yep. um and they're they're odd i mean my boy's got severe hip dysplasia so um it it's one of those things that you know i i don't know if his parents were tested unfortunately i don't know a lot about him and his lines but this again is where if breeders are checking hips, checking elbows, checking conformation, but also checking bloody temperament, yeah, we would be producing the best dogs possible for that breed and not freaking some of the dogs. I'm gonna this is gonna piss people off. I don't care. Some of the dogs are like Frankenstein's monsters. Um, and I think uh, temperament in German Shepherds is a, is a massive issue. And you just, you know, they are lily-livered spook, spook mm -hmm. meisters in the ring. You see them far too often. And um, <laughs> if you saw what the dogs are trying to do here, to just go, she's on the phone, let's distract her. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but, um, uh, yeah, they, uh, they are... Uh, the temperament is, I think, comes back to this thing. So people often think that I'm incredibly anti-showing, um, anti-pedigree dogs, etc. I'm completely not. People often get that wrong. I am very pro the selective breeding of dogs. And I'd probably have said selective breeding deliberately there rather than mm -hmm. pedigree or purebred breeding mm -hmm. because, you know, we, we need brilliantly bred dogs. Yes. Um, I... In, increasingly science tells us that these dogs are very inbred and they are suffering as a result of it so for me good breeding encompasses crossbreeding and outcrossing but in some breeds there is enough extant diversity to continue with them and that's not necessary at the end of the day we need to be looking at the whole dog mm -hmm. and as you say temperament it's um, confirmation, etc. And we need to completely be challenging ourselves about what we are imposing on these animals because it's coming at a massive cost to some of them. And I think we increasingly, I think we're living in an age where we're caring about what we're doing to the planet. Mm -hmm. um, we are caring what we're doing to wild species. And yet 
we are completely fucking up some of these mm -hmm. domesticated species yep. and people are just going oh well that's lovely oh, um look at that <laughs> right so, right you know this it needs to change i know it's going to um and i and, and i think because there aren't enough people batting on about this i have made the, the decision to continue batting on about it mm -hmm. because you know for good or evil most people um are happy to listen to what i say even if it's to trash it but i just keep batting on because it's got to change if you love these animals we have a responsibility towards them it absolutely needs to change. Yeah, yeah. I just want to go back to what you said about like the um, the outcrossing and kind yeah. of trying to improve the breeds that way. I think a good example of that would be um, the Dalmatians that you spoke about in um, yeah in the documentary. Because um, was it pointer? If you added a bit of pointer, it kind of basically stopped them getting the urine retract problems they were getting and helped stop them getting stones and stuff. So that to me makes sense and i totally understand it but yeah. do you think that some people have kind of just gone oh well we'll cross things and then they'll be healthy and then they're not actually putting the time and effort into thinking about what they're crossing and how they're crossing and not necessarily doing the health tests they should be doing it's yeah. almost like especially because we are in a designer dog era and you yeah. know growing up they were crossbreeds and now all of a sudden they've been given this label and the price tags have gone up and you know my my listeners know that there are crosses that i think are really good and it improves the health and temperament and they make great pet dogs but there are also crosses that just shouldn't be a fucking thing because <laughs> it's not good for the dog they're not going to be easy to live with and it seems like people are just crossing things for the sake of making them look like cute things rather than actually thinking like right is this actually a dog that's a good example of their breed you know with with them crossing poodles are they doing the proper health tests on the poodle parent to do it but also when you're then talking about like the f1s the f2s where they're then crossing oodle to oodle and i'm going to just use the blanket term oodle for them mm -hmm. Are they health testing the oodles or are they just crossing them and praying that none of those original problems come through? It just seems mental. Okay, so I think that the way to look at this is to just go, shit breeding is shit breeding, whether it's a purebred dogs or crossbreeding. Yes. So I think yes. that if you, it is as simple as that. So, and you cannot just go, every cockapoo is crap no. and you can't say that every purebred cocker is brilliant mm -hmm. um just because it's been bred by someone who trots around the ring at crufts or even actually uh, on you know for cockers even the working bred dogs horrendous level of inbreeding in the working cockers mm -hmm. they are fabulous fit little animals but mm -hmm. you know you're not going to be able to continue doing that forever and some of them have coefficients of inbreeding in the 30s and if you think that 25 percent is the equivalent of a full sibling or parent offspring mating these dogs are more inbred than that anyway so i think if you go back and just say okay ship breeding is ship breeding mm -hmm. so but complicating the matters is that we have always 
bred dogs for what we want and how we want them to look. Yes. And just because we crossbred dogs a hundred years ago to create a new breed, you know, and they're okay, but suddenly doing it now is not. The difference, of course, is that people are not trying to create a new breed very often. They are just flinging any old shit to any old shit and um, selling it for a ridiculous amount of money to a very gullible public. Mm -hmm. So, however, there is this. The F1 crosses, mm -hmm. whatever you throw together, you can put the crappiest poodle and the crappiest cocker together. And those F1 crosses statistically are likely to be healthier than either of their parent breeds or, or just a norm because mm -hmm. of the way genetics works. Yeah. When you breed on, it is, you know, you lose that benefit. So, and also it's not across the board. So mm -hmm. we have um, pug crosses, uh, very often have a massively undershot jaw comes through, which is, you know, they might be, but they might breed better. So it's, no, there's no black and white about this. Yeah. And I think that I, I do, I do think that um, smart crossbreeding is a completely legitimate way to go. Mm -hmm. And you can produce some absolutely fabulous dogs. I had a conversation on, there's a Facebook group called Functional Breeding, I think, um, where people are doing crosses and um, uh, trying to do them well. Mm -hmm. And there was a discussion the other day about uh, somebody said, what would happen if I crossed a collie to an Irish setter? And there was outrage on there because there's lots of purists, despite the name and despite mm -hmm. the, the group advocating for a careful outcross or careful crossbreeding. And they were saying, oh, I can't cross a pastoral breed with a, um, a gun dog breed. That's a recipe for disaster. And you'll have this, that and the other. Well, you know, I run a rescue mm -hmm. and I specialize in black retriever crosses, which mm -hmm. are almost all gun dog collie crosses. Oh. And they're fabulous, uh, uh, yeah, fabulous dogs, v very often. So I get a lot of set across collies, uh, beautiful black, they look a bit like a flat coat when they come out, um, mm -hmm. beautiful dogs. I have not seen any issue with that particular crossbreeding. But so people are very, uh, and you don't get the worst of both breeds. You Genetics tell you that you get a halfway house, mm -hmm. that, but you predictably get a halfway house. Yeah. So, um, uh, but obviously it's not absolutely, when I say predictable, it doesn't mean that in every case you get that. You sometimes get, you know, if you did a pug cross poodle, you might get just because of the way that it works. That it should be a halfway house, but you might get one that, you know, looks completely like a pug and the other looks like a poodle. It just sometimes happens like that. Mm -hmm. So the, the breeding of dogs, we are in the wild west with it at the moment because there are people out there who absolutely don't give a flying fuck about yeah. the dogs. They are literally just breeding for money. A great um, focus at the moment is what I call freak breeding. It's very extreme breeding, of, often in bulldogs, unfortunately. Um, bulldogs and French bulldogs. Yeah, the bull, the bull um, breeds are getting hit with it at the moment, aren't they? <laughs> they are. So, however, so we've got some terrible, you know, a lot of color breeding, um, and uh, although, you know, I'm a great one for just saying, look, just because the dog's the wrong bloody colour doesn't make it a bad dog. Um, but it's the breeding of it. You know, why is it being done? You, we sometimes get 
some of these dogs have been crossed to br bring in new colors. Mm. And there were, in some cases, there have been some benefits from doing that, and other times, you know, no benefits at all. So I think we're living in a world where we have people who don't care about the dogs, they really just are making money. And there's this bizarre shadow world that exists in the UK at the moment of these dodgy canine fertility clinics, which have been mm -hmm. set up because the uh, conventional vets are getting increasingly reluctant for, to facilitate the breeding of these dogs. Yeah. And so they're now trying to do it themselves. They hire foreign vets and they set up their own company and they are doing wall to wall artificial inseminations and C-sections. And well, there was um there was the BBC documentary on it wasn't there like the yeah, was talking about it yeah and yeah absolutely that, that was just so eye opening um it was I mean the fact that he was like they had footage of the guy running the thing saying you're not allowed to take dogs' bloods but I'm going to show you how to I'm sorry what yeah, yeah. no that's not a fucking thing <clears throat> yeah we're still tracking um that smart breeder and yeah. um they are still operating and. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe there's several people looking at them. And I think um, from, from as I understand it, there is an attempt going to be made. At the moment, the RCVS um, um, authorizes individual vets, so, but not veterinary practices. And I think that there is going to be an attempt made to, to do the latter. Uh, that's probably going to take some time to come through, but hopefully that would knock those on the head um, I also hope it's going to be a multi-pronged approach. I mean, I'm certainly, my focus is now is just saying the Animal Welfare Act of 2018 explicitly provides, uh, um, there is a clause in there which says you can't knowingly breed dogs with a high risk of genetic and confirmation problems. Well, these guys are, are absolutely flagrantly um, transgressing that. It's just that there's no bloody appetite out there to bring a case. So, but cause enough fuss and the case will come. When, when wow. I was, you know, it, it will come because in the way that Jordan Shelley um, uh, was, did a very good job of mobilizing on um, crop, cropping, which mm -hmm. obviously is another yeah, huge Yeah, no, we've, we've done a whole episode yeah. on that and we've actually got Jordan coming back on. Um, right to talk about some more legislation changes and things he's working yeah. on at the moment later in the season. Yeah. So Jordan is a very good friend of the podcast and my honorary little brother, actually. And right. shout out but, to him because I'm I'm so bloody proud of him. Like, he's it, been on such a journey, love him. But yeah, him managing to get them to change the law about this, about cropped dogs being imported. Because again, it's these poor bloody bullies that are having their ears cut off. And it just makes my heart hurt because they're just lovely. I mean, there's there's a guy near me, he's got three XL bullies. Um, if you're not familiar, they are like the most giant yeah, henchist Stafford yeah. type things, but they're like they're like Staffords on steroids. Like if you yeah. imagine a normal Stafford is a Shetland pony, these are basically cart horses. They are yeah absolutely massive they are beautiful looking dogs but two of his have ears one of them is cropped and surprisingly the one that's cropped is really head shy and not particularly friendly yeah. with people but the two that have their ears are absolutely gorgeous and will slobber all over you all day long and you're like why was that needed now one thing that jordan mentioned and it's something that i'm going to reiterate to people there is absolutely no european country 
that it is legal to crop a dog in. Yeah. Absolutely nowhere in Europe it is legal to be cropping dogs. So when people say, oh, it's an import, yeah. that's not an excuse. It has still been cropped illegally unless it's come from a country that they yeah. allow it. Yeah. But in Europe, it is illegal to crop a dog. So I don't understand why we're seeing so many of them because we shouldn't yeah. be. And this again yeah. is where some of these clinics that are popping up i'm sure they have something to do with that as well well i'm always on the the lookout for that and if you're seeing some very young dogs with obviously just cropped ears mm-hmm. um you know if you track them some may be imports from eastern europe um but um others are not um and i'm sure that cropping is being done here uh, but mm-hmm. it needs to you know well i know it's being done here yeah uh, I, I would, so, okay, so here's something very, it's not controversial, but when people, th- there are a thousand dog ills, you know, and everyone has their own thing about what pisses them off and they think yeah. needs to change, isn't it? Um, for some, it's e-collars. For some, it's ear cropping. For me, it's the extreme breeding. And I think that, uh, and I'm delighted that Jordan got so much purchase with that campaign I think it did a brilliant brilliant job Mm -hmm. I uh, and this is not to negate it at all Mm. but there are still relatively few thank god um, dogs being cropped here yes and I would argue that there are thousands and thousands of dogs being born into bodies that they are going to cause them to suffer for their whole lives 10,000 bajillion percent agree with you on that like completely because and the thing is it's not always it's not always the obvious problems it's not always kind of I mean we'll we'll go down the brachiocephalic rabbit hole in a minute um but including teaching you how to to pronounce it oh no did I just fudge that horribly (laughs) do it tell me explain to the world how am I meant to say it I've been saying it wrong forever tell me how you say it again Brachycephalic. Okay, so you've got an extra O in that. So it's oh. just bra- brachycephalic. And it's oh, okay. Short. Well, I, I oh. turned it into a dinosaur instead of... <laughs> <laughs> You're, you embellished, Karen. I can't think. Yeah, well, there we go. It. That's my version. Shit, I've been saying that wrong a long time. Okay, thank you for the correction. We like that. Correction corner has it's been not, done. Perfect. Um, it's, not, it's not just you. It's not just you. A lot of people. <laughs> hey, I people did pretty think, well. You're forgiven. I, think I did pretty well, to be fair. Um, with the let's go back to the pedigree dogs exposed for a bit yeah. and talk about kind of the mm. other dogs that run it. So obviously, I've spoken about yeah. the Dalmatians and we mentioned the Shepherds, um, the Cavaliers. Now, mm. I walked Cavalier for many, many years, and he had heart problems and. Yeah. I'm sure there were other symptoms going on. I also trained a Cavalier. Well, I got called in to train a Cavalier and I took one look at it and said, this dog needs to go to the vets. The dog needs a full vet workup. And it turned out it had epilepsy. And I don't want to butcher the name of it because I'm nervous now. Shall I do it for you? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, please do. Oh, I've lost her. Oh, no. 
Right, so after that dramatic technical pause, yes. <laughs> Jemima, what is the correct pronunciation of this awful thing that Cavaliers suffer with? Okay, I think you're probably referring to syringomyelia yes. and the related condition, Chiari malformation. It is much easier to just say CMSM, um, but of course, then no one knows what you're talking about. But right, it is so essentially. For the purpose of the podcast, we're going to use the abbreviation because it's the whole word that I don't have time to learn that. <laughs> Okay, uh, syringomyelia is, is probably what you're referring to. Um, but uh, yes, and what did you want to know about that? Did you want so to know what the, is, So or? the little dog I worked with, um, he, I've spoken about him a couple of times on the podcast really, but for me, when I walked in, he was, he was spinning left, spinning left, spinning left, spinning left, spinning left, and would only turn left. He was also shadow chasing, he was showing some other things, and yeah. I was just like, because the owner was like, oh, he's just mad. I was like, no, he's not mad. There is something going on with this dog, like seriously. And when they took it to the vet, the vet diagnosed the epilepsy. Um, they didn't disclose. Or they were like, oh, it's epilepsy in St. Kells. So I'm assuming that's yeah. what it was. Um, but it breaks my heart because as a pet, Cavaliers have got to be in the top five of just perfect pet dogs. That for a certain type of uh, owner, absolutely. You know, they are soft, they're gentle, temperamentally normally very good. They're not too barky. Um, they're pretty. They've um, got big googly eyes, um, which people appeal to. Um, they're not, they're fairly low maintenance in terms of the coat. Absolutely. And one, although in a way you could say that pedigree dogs exposed failed miserably in terms of the brachycephalic breeds. Mm -hmm. We now have more pugs, French bulldogs and, and bulldogs than ever before. There has been an absolutely cataclysmic drop in the number of cavaliers being born and bred in this country. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it was that image of a screaming cavalier in the mm -hmm. uh, film and mm -hmm. uh, uh, Professor Claire Rusbridge's uh, a description of them as having uh, you know, a brain that is too big for their brain case and referring to it as, I think, a size 10 foot in a six, size six shoe or something yeah. like that. Um, that's not exactly right. Um, it got through and everybody now knows this little dog as the dog that, whose um, brain is too big for its head mm -hmm. uh, or cranium. So yeah. it got through and you know, I just think, what do you have to do to get through to people? Well, you show a dog screaming on, in pain in television. Um, and the, I think the registrations now have dropped something like now. This is off of my head. So yeah. uh, from about 18,000 a year to eight, it's or it might be even wow. more, a bigger drop. It's a big, big, big drop. And I'm delighted. Norway, as you may know, has uh, just had a, a, an important court case in yes. terms of dog breeding and the decision there they took a very clever smart case they took uh, good breeders to court mm -hmm. and they looked at the situation of cavaliers and bulldogs but in terms of cavaliers really the only conclusion you can come to is that it is not ethical to continue breeding dogs with such a high rate of suffering however much you might love them however much the fact that there are some that escape and have good long lives although yeah. i have to say i think that heart disease is almost ubiquitous mm -hmm. uh, so 
you, you know, there comes a point, and they're incredibly inbred as well. Yeah. They, uh, the Cavalier to me would be the most amazing breed to use as a showcase to just go, do you know what? We can recover this breed. Yeah. We're going to bring in all these amazing scientists, population geneticists, um, smart breeders who know what they're doing, and we're going to bring them on board. And, you know, oh, my God, in my fantasy world, the Kennel Club is proactive on this and <laughs> say, come on, let's Sorry, save the Cavalier. I didn't mean to laugh at that statement. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's save the Cavalier and show, and then we're going to produce a template for modern dog breeding, which will allow us to have dog breeds that are beautiful, that appeal to different aesthetics, but doesn't cause too much of a cost to them. Mm -hmm. And so, but uh, now there is a Cavalier Companion Project. Uh, is it? I hope I got that right. Uh, Cavalier um, Companion Spaniel Project, I think it is. Okay. Now there is someone that has done, there've been various attempts over the years for people to do outcrosses. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, some of these initiatives are not going to go anywhere, but they, and syringomite elia unfortunately does come through also in the crosses but um but lesser so and you know I, well that's what i would love them to do with the cavalier but up to that point i do not think but where do you draw the line it is so hard but i absolutely believe the cavalier is over that line and i'm afraid the british bulldog i shouldn't say british bulldog the breeders beat me up it's just bulldog it's not a bulldog. <laughs> it's not a british bulldog you added it's just an bulldog. americanism into it yeah i have um the bulldog also i'm afraid is pretty much in that same car park and the uh, norwegian case also um came to the same conclusion re bulldogs so and i mean with with the cabs as well like it it does it hurts my heart that these dogs are potentially going to spend a life suffering because, you know, it is a breed that I, I've i got a little soft spot for, you know, the, the one oh. I, I spent, well, eight, eight years walking him, you know, he was like one of our family, he would come and stay when his parents were away and all of that kind of stuff. So I, I do have a little soft spot for them. And they just, they just always look like you know such happy little dogs and then as they get older that's when the heart problems start coming through and stuff like oh, that yeah. and it is that whole kind of line of where is the ethics and where do we go do you know what this isn't working we need to change this it's enormously complex i got into this in the first place first place because my breed of choice were, was the flat-coated retriever and I got my first flat coat in 1987 and I loved him to the extent that it felt like I'd lost a limb when I lost him but mm -hmm. I didn't lose he was 15 when he died wow that's and a very good innings for a flat coat exactly because they dropped dead of cancer and they dropped dead of cancer at the age fairly predictably at eight and nine oh. uh, as a medium However, now I know where, where I lie on this issue and I got into rehoming black retriever crosses because I couldn't bear to have a flat coat in my house and look into those eyes and mm -hmm. just constantly think, when are you gonna die? Mm -hmm. I couldn't bear it. That was despite me having had a dog, my, I've had several flat coats and they've all actually the, the, lived to a, a reasonable age. Mm -hmm. So 10 was the last one. but. 
and and but then what makes it very complex is you just go well up to the point that the dog dies a flat coat has a fantastic quality of life yeah they're in a functional body mm-hmm. they're often you know loved by people who you know do things with their dogs yeah um you know they are a country dog they have a good quality of life mm-hmm. and then at the end of that life whether it comes at three or four or six or ten or fifteen um it is likely going to be cancer that gets them it's the same with golden retrievers they have a, a they have a lot of cancer in that breed but it's mainly an old age cancer yeah um i mentioned earlier being at the manchester championship show in 2008 and talking mm-hmm. to uh bernie's uh mountain dog breeders it's a breed that i'd looked at at one point and because i think they're very they appeal well, they're to, stunning to useful looking dogs yeah 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 but they have actually the same cancer that flat coats have and it and they're you know they're dead by six or seven mm-hmm. and when I addressed that with breeders they said to me well you know you've got to love them a lot because you don't have them for long oh. and, and, and I and I just thought that there's that there's there's no credit in that no. you know you are breeders who are producing breeders I often say Breeders are incredible at what they do. They're very good at what they do. The problem is that what they do is often not very good. Mm-hmm. But can you imagine if all that energy and knowledge and everything else was was um, channeled into selecting dogs with traits like longevity and no cancer? Yeah. Um, can you imagine how they could, how amazing they'd be, they'd be at that? Yeah. And it's just that we are valuing things that are no good to the dog. Yeah. I a particular marking or a particular color or a particular ear set or um, a particular length of coat or a particular wrinkle or a particular shaped eye or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so I think that we just need to wholesale rethink all that. But the point I was making there was where do you draw the line? It is massively mm. difficult. Yeah. So where how much suffering? For me, the reason I've focus on brachycephalics is because I just think from the moment these pups take their first breath to when they die often it's not um, really a first breath though for a lot of them is it most of them do okay for the first year or two in fact um and there will be some that breathe okay um but air hunger I cannot think of anything that is worse and when you see I sometimes post on my Cruffer campaign uh, mm. dogs who are in the vets and they've still got the endotracheal tube in and they're awake and breathing because they're getting a full breath of air during that tube. Now, most dogs will gag and spit, it, spit the tube out or try yeah. to when they come around from the anaesthetic. But very often, well, not very often, but quite often, um, these brachycephalics don't do it. And you can hear them. They're sitting there and their, bre- their breathing is noiseless. And then, you know, the VNs take out the, the tube and suddenly you're back to... <laughs> well, I mean, my, so my nickname for, um, for French bulldogs is um, snuffle pigs. Because that's what they sound like. They just sound like little snuffling piglets. Yeah, and there are people who like the noise. Huh? I've heard people, oh, they do, but in a way, but you, yeah, but you sort of cutified it by saying snuffle pigs, and yeah. unfortunately, you know, people like it, and they, I've heard one breeder said about a pug, you know, that noise is like the equivalent to a purr in a cat. <laughs> um, 
yeah right okay so here we go public service announcement a pug breathing is not the same as a cat purring just saying that's not a thing fucking hell seriously honestly and people you go onto some of these you know bracky pages and Mm -hmm. uh, dog spotting and you know wherever you go to 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 get any dog hit on the internet and there are people just loving the snoring i'll be honest with you i I don't because i can't because it drives me insane i'm i'm very selective on my instagram um i try and make sure that we we follow dogs that like look good and there are some fab bloody frenchies with some really nice little snouts on them and they just look like cracking healthy little dogs and then you have ones that skulls are shaped like a bowling ball I think you know what complicates is is that it isn't completely linear, so you can get Frenchies with um, decent snouts that actually are bad breathers, and you can extraordinarily occasionally get one with absolutely no face that breathes okay. So that gives everybody an excuse. That gives the breeders, the flat-faced dogs, an excuse to keep breeding the flat-faced dogs. But the reality is that it, it. it isn't just the breathing with these dogs. Mm-hmm. So if you are crushing that muzzle, concertinaing it, the soft tissue hasn't kept up with the way that the skeleton has shortened um, through mm-hmm. selective breeding. Because it's been done over a very short period of time in terms of evolution. So what happens is all that soft tissue bunches up and it also means the dogs have no buffer for their eyes. So that's why pugs just a, a walking eye disaster because they uh you know they're constantly getting ulcers and scratching their corneas well, and, and there, there um, is the kind of tail they, isn't there that you shouldn't scruff a pug because their eyes can fall out yeah they it, it happens rarely which is hor- but do you know what i mean the thought happens. that you you can't scruff a dog because potentially its eyes could fall out of its head like that shouldn't well, be a thing <laughs> I talked to um, a friend of mine who is uh, a vet nurse who has a Frenchie and before that had a pug. Um, she's amazing and she's got, she is absolutely brilliant at taking care of their rescues and um, mm-hmm. take huge care of um, her Frenchie. But I got quite shocked the other day when she said that, you know, the dog couldn't actually go and do dog things like going into a bush to investigate something because she'd damage her eyes. Because there was a high risk of her damaging her eyes. That so oh, because there's so nothing you can to go and do dog stuff properly unless it's wearing safety goggles. <laughs> like that, yeah, I just I, it is so. I mean, it that is just sucks. Yeah, it? Your dog cannot go to a park and sniff around some bushes and stick its head in like some trees and stuff because it could. I mean, obviously, all dogs can poke their eyes out. I know dogs that have actually done exactly yeah. that but the fact yeah. that the facial surface is so flat compared to like nose to eye distance that if they sniff something that's a bit prickly they can get pricked in the eye like that shouldn't be a thing and also because they've been bred with big eyes their eyelids often don't close completely oh, so God. that interferes with with um tear well there's often have uh, faulty ear uh, tear production they mm-hmm. the, ear, the tear film doesn't work properly over their eyes the eyes don't shut properly um and there are other issues because the, sh- the sockets are uh, are really 
shallow. And it's, but it's not just eyes either. People often say, oh, well, it's okay because some very flat faced um, Frenchies breathe just fine, but they won't, their eyes were still vulnerable. And another big issue, which I think is becoming increasingly um, talked about now, thank God, mm. is dental. Yeah. Um, there, there's a, a amazing veterinary dentist in Canada called uh, Dr. Fraser Hale, who's been working so hard trying to raise awareness on this issue um, and gets a huge amount of flack from breeders as a result of it. And he, he basically says, when you have dogs, and very often these brachycephalic dogs have an underbite, when you have that mismatch between the maxilla and the mandible, these dogs are effectively biting themselves with every bite. Oh, they, because the, the teeth are hitting. They're not. They're not aligned properly. The teeth yeah. are not aligned properly. Yeah. So they are hitting flesh. They're, so a normal bite, you can close your teeth and you're not biting your cheek at the same time, or you're not having your um, bottom teeth crushing into soft tissue in your mouth. Yeah. And these dogs literally. They are biting themselves with every breath, uh, with every bite. Mm -hmm. And as a result, and then because these mouths are often quite hard to open and a cursory look may make them look like they're okay, but there is pathology in, or he says he's never seen a normal brachycephalic mouth. Uh, their that's, teeth are unerupted really or That is really interesting irritated. to me because I also have chihuahuas um i have um two long Hang on a minute german shepherds chihuahuas <laughs> yep and, and a staff cross lab just for good measure um awesome. i have i have she she's our rescue baby and we love her um right. but my chihuahuas so um a friend of mine bred cheek and my eldest one now both of my chihuahuas are classified as deer heads they are not registered right. Um, yep. Chica's mum was short-coated, Chica's dad was long-coated, which is very controversial in the Chihuahua world. So I have a mixture yep. one. And then yes. when I decided to breed Chica and I go on the record regularly to say I would never breed again and it was ridiculous and we had an emergency C-section and I mm. thought I was going to lose my gun, it was horrendous. Um, it's honestly, if you're breeding properly, like it's not for the faint-hearted and you're going to make minimal amounts of money because it's fucking hard work. But my, both of my girls um, are deer heads. Now, for people that don't know, chihuahuas actually do have two different head types. Not according to the chihuahua people. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> they have two types of heads. Um, yeah. Think pinky in the brain. That is the best way to explain this, people. So the show chihuahuas look like the brain and the deer head chihuahuas look like pinky. Um, they have a longer muzzle. They don't have yeah. such a huge cranium. They're a bit better. But interesting, both of my girls only have 40 teeth instead of 42. Oh, really? Okay. Mm. And they haven't lost them. They were just no, actually born that's like that. how they were. And because I've got mum and daughter, the daughter is missing exactly the same teeth as the mum is. Well, that's probably quite a useful thing for the dog. Um, yeah. <laughs> because there's no room for them. And, the, you know, all these toy breeds have difficult teeth. Let me put it that way, because teeth are another thing that haven't shrunk in proportion to mm -hmm. shrinking the rest. Oh, it's of one of those kind of things, head. isn't it? Oh, toy breeds, they have dental problems. Like, it's absolutely fine. Well, no, it's not fine. Why aren't we trying to improve that? 
I, for me, the answer is, and I'm afraid it will probably do away with your lovely two hours, is that yeah. I think that, that uh, we have to guard against, if we take the wolf or village dog as a template. Village um, dog is a good one to go with. Yeah, let's go with village dogs. We won't go down the They come from road. wolves. So That's if you look, I mean, I'm not, obviously they're not wolves. and But um, they, well, they don't come from wolves. They share a common ancestor with the grey wolf, to be more yes. precise. Yes. Um, so, uh, but if you take the village dog as that's the sort of natural type mm -hmm. dog, they are pretty similar the world over. And I think that once you start to digress from that form, it's fine, but there comes a limit. So it's all those extreme, extreme miniaturization, extreme size, you know, Great Danes and uh, wolfhounds, yeah. etc., all co often come at a massive cost to these dogs. Yeah. Um, uh, excessive coat, excessive uh, brachys, oh God, you got me doing it now, brachycephaly, yeah. um, uh, you know, chop, you know, let's breed them without tails, let's breed them with very short backs, let's, yeah. uh, you know, it's when you're diverging, so if you, I think that we always, not from one minute suggesting that we can only have village dogs, mm -hmm. unlike a lot of people who, on this issue, I actually really believe in good breeding, I really yeah. do, I don't, I don't think we're doing it, but I think that it doesn't mean that we can't do it because yeah. we just need to rethink how we breed dogs. It's completely unscientific. Yeah. You know, it's completely, if you, and if we looked at them more as a conservation project, can yeah. you imagine, can you imagine in giant pandas, if zoo, um, zoo peeps were saying to, oh, well, we can't use that giant panda because the color's wrong. We're not going to use, you not make that one and yeah you haven't got many left but you know we can't use that one um because it's the wrong color or it's got a funny ear well um, so, it, so with with my girls um so chica bless her um my my bitch that was that i bred from um she is very large for a chihuahua she's five and a half kilos which oh, a chihuahua is giant um, well, that's okay because you've just sneaked under my bottom limit. <laughs> so don't sneak over it, yeah. Because I think that, well, actually, I think to, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to put a limit on it. But I think that once you're getting three kilos and below, that that is too small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, minor trip hazards as they are, any smaller and like it's just lethal for all parties involved. But one of the things, um, so we had three pups one was a stillborn unfortunately um angel a friend of mine has and then i kept minx minx has got soft ear which in chihuahua is like oh my god she's got this her ears don't stand up this is ridiculous now actually she looks like a teacup um and i hate the phrase teacup okay there's not a thing there is no such thing as a teacup breed of dog people it's a marketing label so i joke that my chihuahua is a teacup toller because that's what she looks like with her little soft ears and her little pretty nose that's not smushy in her face. She basically looks like someone took a dark holding retriever and shrunk it to five kilos. I think you might have to send me a picture of this dog. I think that I would, I'd have to cute. see that. It is a little bit cute. She has her own Instagram. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
when I was, I remember when I was looking for a stud dog, um, I made sure that, you know, like, ha- did they have like good platellas? What was the temperament like? And I was just breeding a pet dog. You know, I wasn't breeding yeah. for showing. It was just breeding dogs of, you know, that would make nice pets. Now, as it turned out, Minks um, took after her grandmother and was maybe not the most sociable of chihuahuas in the world, but then a lot of them aren't. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't purposely go out to get a chihuahua now because I have not met any that I feel are well-bred anymore. And it really hurts my heart to say that because as a breed, I freaking love them. But I have not, for temperament and confirmation, I haven't met any that I've gone, I would have that dog in a heartbeat. I just wouldn't. And it's really shit because, again, they're another cracking little dog that's been completely fucked up and ruined by people that are just breeding for the sake of it. How do you not tread on them? I, that's I, I, At the <laughs> moment, I, I, this is... Now, I, as you know, I run a rescue and I we are as a rescue quite hot on behavioral stuff but mm-hmm. sometimes so at the moment i've got um oscar the bitey cocker here yeah. and, <laughs> and, and <laughs> um, we get a lot of bitey cockers and i don't yeah yep and um and it's not a, that that you see that i i'm i'm in massive danger of just treading on him and I, well, and when really you've got he's ginormous. Uh, well, I know by your. In my standards. world, he's ginormous. But can you imagine? Uh, I mean, a chihuahua here would not stand a chance. <laughs> right. So, first, no, you say that. First of all, the, chihuahua, the chihuahuas do occasionally get tripped over, generally in the kitchen. And it's not generally me, it's generally the husband, because right. he has he has less spatial awareness than me. Um, I lose them regularly where I'm stood there looking for them and they're actually stood directly behind me. That's always fun, um, where, especially when you're out on a walk and you're stood there calling them, looking like a complete knob because your dog is actually stood behind you while you're screaming its name. Um, yes. You learn to look down a lot. Right. I think that's you, you I need to learn to, to look down more because it's just that, especially in the kitchen when it's like food prep time. I, I always joke and laugh because the shepherd's on his bed, good as gold, and the girls will be under your feet, guaranteed. And it doesn't matter how many times you tell them to get on their beds, they will be yeah. under your feet just in case you drop something. They are. They do. Uh, they do sort of quite good at learning to dance around feet. But yes. um, yeah. obviously, my solution here with Oscar the bitey cocker is to wear wellies in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway we digress apologies, no, but, but, oh, um, we always go off on branches on this podcast and we go back to the trunk and then we go off on another branch and back to the trunk it's fine but it it does upset me I mean I didn't see the pitch that went up in Cruffer because unfortunately it had been removed or changed or whatever reason but I understand there was a very extreme bred chihuahua in the Cruffer group Yes. Yeah, and I stupidly forgot to take a screenshot of that dog. Oh, um, also, actually, some, somebody might have done it. It was um, a UK breeder, and um, they, uh, well, a very, 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 very flat face. I probably do have a screenshot somewhere. But um, well, it should not be flat faced. Of course not. Uh, actually, not so long ago, I was contacted by um a team of scientists or a team of people including scientists from Mm -hmm. mexico who um were 
basically trying to see if they could uh, put up a legal case to prevent what is bred over here as a chihuahua in America to -hmm. stop them using the name because for Mm -hmm. them it wasn't a chihuahua and they just felt that it was an abomination compared to what a quote real unquote chihuahua is Mm -hmm. but you know, and and I had my sympathies with them, and I and that would make them quite a nice story for me. You know that the people who were promoting the land race in Mexico were uh, trying to take on the kennel clubs to stop it. And then I thought, well, hang on, you said you know, uh, and I've seen some lovely chihuahuas in Mexico, but I've also seen yeah. some terrible, terrible ones as well. And I think, you, you as you know, if you love the breed, uh, there's a research paper out a year and a half ago year ago showing that their skulls often isn't just this sort of fontanelle um, that is being you know breeders here now don't select for but their skulls are full of holes because there's Mm -hmm. something about the miniaturization that means that the skull closures don't happen correctly because and that's probably just because they're too small I think other very small breeds suffer from it as well but and I yeah, just think it's, it's another one of those things that you do have because they can have it's called a soft spot no it's not it's where their skull isn't there like here's yeah. the thing people your skull is there to protect your brain and the skull should be the correct size for the brain but also the skull should completely encompass the brain there shouldn't be a hole in it, but also it shouldn't be too bloody small either. Well, but do you know, I don't know if you saw the research paper, Carrie, it isn't just this supposed soft spot that's on the forehead. Um, the paper showed that the dog's holes, uh, the whole skull is full of holes, that it isn't just that fontanelle. Um, and I think when you see it, it is just around, it's a paper by Claire Rusbridge, actually, who was in Pedigree Dogs Exposed, um, talking about Cavaliers. She's a veterinary neurologist. And um, I'll send it over to you later. Yeah, no, I'd I'd be very interested. Ah. I'll put a link in the show notes because I know that will that will interest several people Ah. because I've gone, oh, I want to read that. I've actually written it up on my on my blog, the Pedigree Dogs Exposed blog. Oh, perfect. So you send me that and I'll put it in the show notes. That's perfect. Thank you. That is only a very small plug for my blog because it's intermittent. No, you plug plug away, darling. That's what you're here for. So while we're plugging, that's a really good segue, actually. Um, Mm. Should we talk about Cruffer? Yes. Um, And I think, uh, yes. So Because you're that woman. (laughs) Well, I was that woman from 2008, I think. But, okay, so Cruffer... After Pedigree Dogs Exposed, there was a, a, a huge fuss and there were some reforms brought in by the Kennel Club and they increased judges training and they introduced Mate Select to, to help on the inbreeding issue. So there were things that were done yeah. um, that the Kennel Club claims were in the pipeline anyway. But of course, that, that, it, yeah, it, of course, it, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not true. Um, so, but we got to sort of 2014 2015 and we were seeing an exponential increase in french bulldogs and pugs and bulldogs particularly frenchies and you know it feel, felt then like it was out of control it's even worse now yeah. and i thought these dogs are literally you know as i said before i cannot 
Uh, you speak to anyone with asthma or someone with other compromised breathing or someone with COVID. I was going to say, someone people that have COVID, had COVID, I know from me recovering, I was yeah. very wheezy after, which was a horrible feeling. Yeah, it is. But imagine having to, everything you do is like, have I got enough breath to do that? Uh, well, in pedigree dogs, I suppose we had one pug breeder saying, yeah, well, occasionally they'd pass out, but, you know, they get back up again. What? I'm so, um, that's and, not okay. <laughs> and uh, and so yeah, they do faint, um, but but you know, that's okay. Um, and these dogs are—it's not just the breathing. Obviously, the uh, the respiratory system is mm. used for cooling the dog yeah. because they don't have sweat glands or very minor ones in paws. And well, we all so know they are absolutely the... dependent on that circulation. Well, the first day it's hot in the UK, it suddenly goes from zero yeah. to bloody... Well, we had it a couple of weekends ago, actually, where it was like yeah. 10 degrees, and then all of a sudden, the weekend, it hit 20. The dogs are not acclimatised yeah. to that. Now, I was at a competition right. that weekend, and Dodge had a fan on. We had the cooling sheet over the van. Um, I was making sure he was hydrated. He was absolutely fine. Because he has yeah. a big old snoz that helps cool him down. Yeah. Yeah. If I mean, if I could have been there, I would have been worried about them. I would have been like, oh, I might actually either put cooling coats on them. And they are not extreme by any no. by any means. You know, they tend to cope okay when it's hot. How many times has it been middle of the day? And that bloody dog that's being walked down the middle of the road on the on the fucking hot pavement when it's 30 degrees is a bracky breed. Are you trying yeah, to and, kill and, your dog? Are they dying? Yeah, no, 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 it's, it is horrendous. But at the end of the day, we, no, we, shouldn't we shouldn't be breeding dogs that have such a high chance of keeling over in that heat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's horribly accepted. Anyway, so we got to the point where I just thought and, I, and also we were getting pictures coming out of some of the shows showing that these dogs that the breeders were completely ignoring yeah. my phone there's always, um, always someone has to ring and disturb the podcast it's a whole thing well um yeah. wasn't it the the winner of um the best in breed at the Westminster show looked like it didn't have nostrils uh, uh, well, uh, French Bulldogs, the show French Bulldogs really very rarely have decent nostrils. In fact, I would say almost none. They all, you get some better nostrils in pugs and you get some better nostrils in Bulldogs, but French Bulldogs have ubiquitously bad ones, unless you go to the longer snouted blue ones that you might follow on Instagram or other people that often quite athletic looking mm. slimmer dogs and yep. those dogs often do have better nostrils yes. but the, the show people don't and I, I get very incensed about that I know it's only a, a tiny part of the dog but it is dogs are as near as damn it obligate nose breathers mm -hmm. they only uh convert to mouth breathing if they are compromised and are not getting enough in through their nose and what always struck me as a, 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 a strikes me as something that hits home for me dogs cannot open their mouths to breathe when they're asleep and if you've got blocked nasal airways and when you fall asleep, the tissue tends to relax exactly the same as happens in, mm -hmm. you know, in us. 
Yeah. Um, these dogs are not, uh, some of them are chronically sleep deprived because they have to keep going, <gasps> opening up to take a breath through their mouths because Aww. their noses are blocked. So the whole issue of being bracky is one. I hope one day we will see it for the freakishness that it really is. Um, these dogs were formed in times when we didn't understand about welfare, perhaps before climate change. Well, yeah, no, climate, as well. we are going to no climate change does increase it as well, because it's yep. not like we gradually have spring that gets gradually, gradually warmer literally last weekend i had heat stroke i ended up making myself yeah. ill because i was so worried about keeping my dog hydrated i forgot about myself because i'm an idiot and then the following weekend we had snow yes no that was that but yeah absolutely um <laughs> but, but so um so essentially it was actually i think seeing some very bad nostrils from the uh, Ladies Kennel Association show in Birmingham in 2015, I think it was mm -hmm. possibly 2016, um, that I managed to persuade an excellent vet called Pete mm -hmm. Wedderburn, um, who is a broadcaster as well and does lots of um, uh, columns in newspapers, including the Nationals. He's based in Ireland. Um, mm -hmm. And I persuaded him to launch a petition <laughs> Um, a, a veterinary petition, basically <laughs> the saying dogs that are we concurring. Need, they are um, asking for urgent reform for brachycephalics, mm -hmm. and that petition it's still up there somewhere on change or whatever it was we did, um, and it got signatures from over forty thousand veterinary pro professionals are saying that wow. we had to do something about brachycephalics because it was such a huge issue, and as a result of that, um, the kennel club, as it often does, it tries to own criticism so that it has control over it so they popped up and said oh we'll start off a little group to discuss this mm -hmm. which they did so that formed led to the formation of the brachycephalic working group which yes. is now populated by kennel club dogs trust rspca blue cross just coming on board um mm -hmm. some very good scientists the cambridge um boas um, uh, the group, uh, research group, etc. Yeah. And it's been going since 2016. But I decided before that was set up, mm -hmm. that a way to perhaps tackle it, and I just, I was feeling a bit fed up about banging the beating up the breeder drum. Yeah, because I just thought, is there another way? Believe me, I still do that a lot. <laughs> Um, but I just wondered if there was a, another approach that could be brought in that would be less controversial in a way. And I suddenly thought, yeah, but we have pugs everywhere, pugs on pyjamas, Frenchies yes. on pillowcases, bulldogs in car insurance adverts, etc. Et yeah. um, and I just thought they, they were everywhere. And I thought, could we tackle this a different way? So that's why I started up Cruffer, which has got uh, the, uh, the bizarre acronym really of Crawford, but it stands for the campaign for the responsible use of flat-faced animals mm -hmm. um, and really I was trying to get I have to admit as close to crafts as possible yeah 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 no um, I, it's good marketing so, so that so that was sort of the plan behind the name mm -hmm. it feels a little bit like it's not the right name now and I keep thinking can I change this to something else but um and maybe I will because increasingly Crawford doesn't just look at brachycephalics we look at other extreme breeding as well now yeah. but I thought can we tackle it by tackling advertisers or putting 
pressure on them through social media to not feature these dogs. Well, it's about um, educating the consumer, isn't it? Well, well, about educating, you know, if we could persuade advertisers, well, sort of the consumer, um, but also the advertisers, if we could make these dogs less visible. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of discussion at the time saying, well, could we say you can use them, but you've got to use a moderate one. Mm -hmm. But the decision was made to not do that at all. We felt the situation was so serious and there was such an enormous demand for these dogs yeah. being met by breeders that anybody would consider were rubbish mm -hmm. um, that actually we just need to reduce the demand and it's that has been really successful and it's been successful because um, uh, uh, other people liked that approach too and the British Veterinary Association and the Braxphalic Working Group and others have all joined in on that. I'd like to take the credit for the idea in the first place but um, there will be others just say it was pure coincidence that others followed suit and it was nothing to do with Cruffer. Um, but whatever the, you know, the basically having a unified approach from various different outfits has been very successful. So if somebody appears with a, you know, puts up a bulldog in their advert, they get jumped on. And people are very aware, companies are very well aware of their social responsibility these days. Mm -hmm. And it's very effective. Twitter, who you know, is a really brilliant tool to tackle these companies. I have yeah. no idea how, why they take notice, because it's, you know, it's, small beer in many ways but they do um and you can often talk directly so this is princess yappy again i have no idea no, what she's that's all right don't worry um, don't um and I think um, the thing is though like i like thinking back kind of i think it was probably like the 90s and like the 2000s like pug like literally you saw pugs everywhere you know there was one in men in yeah. black franchise yeah um they were kind of really in the forefront Bulldogs as well, but then all of a sudden, like Frenchies became fashion. Yeah. And that it is what it is, yeah. isn't it? You know, we've seen it with, we see it all the time, like with decades, you know, every it's a joke that every decade has that breed of dog that everyone avoids. You know, it was Dobermans, it was Rottweilers, it was German Shepherds, it was it was your bull breeds. And it also goes with the dogs people are buying. You know, growing up, I just, we had like kind of, gun dogs have always been fairly popular in places I've lived. You know, I grew up with collies and shepherds. We had a little poodle at one point, but I don't remember kind of seeing so many kind of toy breeds. And then, you know, I'm one of those toy breed people. I have the Chihuahua, you know, mm. I mean, mine are very kind of minor. There would be a lot of kind of chihuahua purists that would take one look at mine and go they're not fucking chihuahuas they're too big they're they're just not i think they're absolutely gorgeous but i'm not showing them so i don't care if they're bigger and all the rest of it and touch wood they've been relatively healthy you know in the grand scheme of things it does seem to be a fashion thing you know i remember there was um the fashion for people suddenly getting dalmatians yeah. We know that uh, films yeah. help this, you know, I mean, I'm praying that films like John Wick and Dog don't make people go out and get fecking Mallies because I love them as a breed, but people don't need them in their house. Um, why do you think people have gone so freaking crazy over these bracky breeds that just look like they've run into a wall? <laughs> well, I actually think that 
you could probably tweak the Frenchy form into something that was actually quite a good and useful pet. I think people, you know, the reality is that people are drawn to them. There, there are lots of things that are going for them. Um, and bear with me because there's, it's far outweighed by things that for the, mm-hmm. for the dog that, um, that is not going for them. But they have a short, no maintenance, almost no maintenance coat. They yeah. are thought of as not being that high energy, although actually I think that you know, <laughs> yeah. we could argue that it's because they can't breathe. Um, and, you know, often mm. if you take um, all the weight off a bulldog, um, you know, they suddenly turn into something way more active. Um, and, uh, so, and, and they became fashionable. We are very drawn, you have, do you know about the notion of kinder schema, which is basically how humans are very drawn to a baby face. And, and, and that's a good thing. It stops us throwing kids out the window when they're born. But if, um, you know, we are programmed evolutionarily to respond to that flat face and big eyes. Mm-hmm. And so it is meeting that. And, you know, which is why that also transfers over into cats like um, your Persians and your Scottish folds that have real extremes, yeah. but they have yeah. these like big eyes and very rounded yeah. faces as opposed to like, let's say the yeah. other extreme of like a Siamese that's very angular and just yeah. is completely different. You know, a Borzoi compared to a pug, you couldn't get more extremes of looks mm. of dogs, could you? You couldn't. And I think, I, but... I th- and it's a really difficult one to counter because there is so much information out there about, you know, you know, be careful about pugs and Frenchies and bulldogs, and yet people are still buying them. Yeah. Um, and they sort of, they must know. And even some people who have been incredibly bruised by dogs dying young um, uh, and having to pay out enormous vet bills. Well, some I think insurance that, companies don't even like insuring them, do they? Or the premiums are... Well, they won't. Stores. Yes, the premiums are very high and, and there are some exclusions. So they wouldn't yeah. cover for braxophallic obstructive airway syndrome because it would be considered a, um, a pre-existing condition. So these dogs are very expensive to buy and very expensive to keep. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, so is a Gucci handbag. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, I mean, my own theory, this is probably quite controversial, is I think that we live in a very, a world that's very fractured in terms of family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people are getting an enormous amount of comfort from these dogs. Yeah. And, or they think they are. And so they do, unfortunately, they have become surrogate babies and very, you know, surrogate babies that love unconditionally yeah. and need the care for which they're incredibly grateful. It's a much easier relationship than it is with, you know, you've got a bratty child. I'm a child-free household. We don't have kids, we have dogs. Um, yeah. I, I tell some, you know, that's the choices we make. I think sometimes we make very good choices, um, especially when my friends are dealing with teenagers right now. And I'm like, Haha. Um, but, for me, you know, yes, they are. I'm one of those people, and I know this really grinds some people's gears, but tough shit. You know, I call them the fur kids. You know, my mum refers to them as the fur grandkids because they are, they are family to us. But also with my dogs, they are still dogs. 
Um, you know, my chihuahuas have done all the, tried all the sports. I did a lot of sports stuff with Munch when she was younger, our Staffy Mix, and obviously Dodges is my, my current sport dog. So I think because I'm kind of a dog trainer and I want to do stuff with my dog, yeah. they have still been dogs as much as they yeah. are also my lovely sofa ornaments that keep me warm and give me cuddles when I need them. It is very hard not to Disneyfy dogs. It, it is. We've Disneyfied them in form, and we Disney. I mean, they are the most incredible creatures. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's really enough. You know, that relationship that we have with them is just one of the most extraordinary things that has ever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it is incredibly precious. I'm, interesting. I was reading uh, a thread on Facebook from uh, American uh, dog behaviorist. And she started off, she asked other dog trainers what behavioural issues they'd seen, who'd been in the game for 20 years or more, what they had seen over the years. Yeah. And um, and change. And it's the most extraordinary reading because these people are just saying, well, we never saw this level of anxiety. We never saw this level of reactivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd be able to go to a shelter and walk into most kennels. You'd... Yeah. Um, uh, etc and you know that has changed we are you, you talk I mean I have got 10 dogs here which is a lot and <laughs> they are absolutely family obviously but these dogs absolutely are dogs you know <laughs> they might sleep on the bed but you know a fair part of every day is being a dog and yeah. that includes going down to Salisbury Plain not all at once I would say um and um where they get to be dogs I don't yeah. sometimes even know where they are um but um you know and I'll that's... pretend you did I, my dog tried to side me when I didn't just hear that sentence I'm pretending I didn't hear that <laughs> well it is they're, they're safe they don't chase livestock and but... they um are they're very good in that respect and um you know, I really, and I'm very lucky in having a resource that is hundreds of thousands of acres and extremely yeah, safe. Of course. So, um, so there they can be dogs, and I, you know, I'm not training them every inch of the way. Um, they are just doing what they want, whether it's oh. sniffing over there or running over there or whatever. Yeah. And that, for me, I think keeps my dogs sane because otherwise, living me, we obviously would drive them completely batshit crazy. So. Anyway, so I think we've digressed, but there is a massive quality of ownership thing. I don't know, that's getting so into my, an area of a whole new thing. My theory on this, I'll tell you, my as, as a dog trainer, with what I've seen in my decade of dog training, um, especially because I've been around dogs forever, there was always a dog in the house. Um, and I remember very much, if the dog growled, we were told to leave the dog alone. Um I can actually remember getting, and I'm not condoning smacking children, um, please remember this was the 80s, um, but I can remember my dad giving me a clip around the ear because I had, one, the dogs had growled at me and I hadn't moved away. My dad was yeah. like, I told you to leave the fucking dog alone and clip me around the ear. Do you know what, after that, if the dog went to lay down while it was eating, I didn't go near them. I was taught that if the dog was eating, you left it the fuck alone. But also the other flip of that is back in the day, if a dog was aggressive, if a dog was not fitting in with family life, and this didn't happen in my own house, but I know from friends and stories and, you know, back 
from my brother telling me stuff it would be a case of if a dog was showing signs of aggression first of all it wouldn't be fecking bread from but it would happen to go to the farm you know that that magical farm that lots of animals went to when we were children yes those dogs were not seen as being appropriate in a house now my dad we had scrapyards growing up and we had the scrapyard dogs that lived at the scrapyard they were basically security dogs they were absolutely fine with me and my brothers but they were not let out when there were customers around they were in a kennel and then they were out at night this was before the law changed and you had to have someone with the dogs but we had the yard dogs that were there overnight they weren't house dogs they they lived at the yard yeah we had the dogs in the house and the yard dogs and the house dogs didn't meet each other they didn't dad used to take them like all the dogs would work but they were kept separate away from each other and they were fit for purpose and actually our last shepherd we had um was a big white shepherd when dad moved to a smaller premises he went to the ref as a security dog at the RF because he was a working shepherd. He was not a pet family fluffy dog. I can remember that dog jumping over my head. I've got vivid memories of this huge white thing running towards me and just leaping over me and scaring the shit out of me when mm. I was probably about six. But back in the day, if a dog was aggressive or if a dog was nervous, you wouldn't have freaking bred from it. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, that works. it's let's just breed to make money. Oh, well, let's just let them have a litter. Like, it's bullshit. And I think that's why, as a trait, so now I, I don't do any behavioral work anymore. I've, I'm out of spoons. I can't. I don't have the capacity for it because I love helping people. I love doing the kind of bread and butter stuff of loosely walking and recall and that kind of yeah. stuff. But I was getting more and more calls about those dogs that were nervy, the yeah. dogs that were showing anxiety issues, the dogs yeah. that, to be honest, needed to see a vet behaviourist and have freaking medication. Yeah. And that's not I mean, okay. And that's not just particular breeds. That was across the board. These nervy, jumpy... Dodge is one of them. My journey with Dodge through adolescence has been hell. And I've been very open about it on the podcast. I feel like we're turning a corner now. If he was a horse, you'd describe him as spooky. That's not okay, especially not for the breed and the purpose he was originally bred for. It's a really difficult one. Just to backtrack, because I just wanted to say, because mm. it just made me laugh the other day. On my local community Facebook page, there was someone who um, said that their long-haired dachshund was, um, was, was looking for a mate. And did anybody have a dog that... Um, uh, because and then described the dog as the dog she's on her period now <laughs> oh for fuck's sake <laughs> <laughs> so, so oh. i just thought okay <laughs> okay but hopefully nobody oh yeah i have the dog dog police around here jumped on her hugely but um yes. that is somebody attitude and yeah nervy dogs are, are really difficult they are they are rehabable i've got one here um and and actually besides oscar the bitey cocker um and uh they are but they're an enormous amount of work no doubt but reha it. rehabbing from experience or rehabbing with nature 
are two yeah. very, very different things. You know, a dog that's that had is, a that bad experience true. that's yes. made them spooky. Okay, yeah. you understand that. But a dog that has come from nervous parents... Yes, that's not okay. No, and this right. is unfortunately what we're seeing with a lot of these puppy farm puppies because yeah. the mother is terrified because I don't bloody blame her. The conditions no. she's kept in are horrific. So of course she's going to be scared. And there's some, you know, there's increasing evidence that, you know, even if that was a sound dog that had become scared that, you know, that, that, so through epigenetics epigenetics that you know mm -hmm. some of that fear is being passed on anyway i i am um, uh, when i started doing rescue which is in 2007 mm -hmm. um i uh, well, and still actually take largely dogs from ireland and when we started in ireland i was taking uh, it, i was an offshoot of flat coat rescue so i was interested in these sort of long-haired black dogs that weren't yeah. flat coats they were turning up in their hundreds in irish pounds and were being put to sleep at the time so I took those dogs and they were invariably just amazing dogs. Mm -hmm. And I put it down to the fact that Ireland was largely fence free. Um, the dogs were often um, roaming. Uh, yeah. The dogs had to be social. It was almost like Otherwise the 70s. They'd be shot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the dogs were often quite well socialized and never so rarely had any aggression issues. Mm -hmm. And they, um, you know, good mixers, these dogs. Uh, almost and, and also had very low expectations <laughs> so because they hadn't had much and it was very nice raw material to work with that's changing now we're getting more anxious dogs uh from ireland that otherwise and more dogs with issues but they're still less i have to say in general than the ones that we take here yeah and in terms of I mean, I, I, every almost every week at the moment i'm getting um uh, my dog's just bitten my child and in 10 out of 11 cases it's because the child has got into the bed with the dog um or you know, it's always that actually i i Aww. and it is absolutely terrifying and well, of course, i mean the obviously end, people are going to be listening to this i think it'll be july now in in the real world when the listeners are listening but in March in the UK, I know of at least three children that died as a result of a dog attack, um, yeah. and two other children were hospitalised. And yeah, there is people. You know, we we did the I did an episode with um, with Debbie over at CAD, which is uh, Kids and Dogs, and yeah. the campaign they're doing is amazing, and the stuff that CAD are doing. You know, they've got instructors that they are training how to work with children and dogs and how to live a harmonious life. Because again, like I can remember going into houses and the kids were treating the dogs like they were teddy bears. And I was like, whoa, 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 no, that's not okay. And they were like, oh, she's all right. I was like, no, she's not. That's, that's not fine. Like your no. child should not be picking your dog up, especially a puppy, um, you know, and things like that, that as a kid, if I, if I'd gone to do something that the dog didn't like, I know I would have been told off for it, but it seems yeah. like society now expects the dog to just put up with it. Um, one and of they those do when they're puppies. Yeah. I won't name names, but someone of an acquaintance um, had, it was actually a bulldog, and um, the grandson was hitting the dog with a stick 
the dog eventually went, you know what, I've had enough and actually bit the stick and not the child. And the dog got told off and they were like, oh, well, you know, because he could have he could have got that child. And it was the dog that was told off, not the child. Now, that to me is just absolutely mental. Allowing a child to do something that's going to physically cause a dog discomfort. Um, to pull it back to the breeding issue, um, I, I, I think there's a really, really strong case for breeding, uh, concerted breeding programs to be breeding. I, I actually think that we, or we could breed dogs that can cope with more. That don't give um, a shit. Yeah, but... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, to put it in the most I, I, layman's terms, dogs that I, just don't give a shit and will yeah, just... Yeah, dogs that are really robust in that respect because mm-hmm. I just think, okay, so what, So we've got here sort of... Um, this is That is Oscar the Bitey Cocker. <laughs> Oscar um, is saying, I'm not a robust dog. I do not need to be near a child, thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, he's uh, probably not a child, a dog that, dog that needs that. He's a dog that's been given the wrong, you know, whose owners were given absolutely the wrong advice and who was oh. in pain and started oh. to snap. So, uh, but anyway, that's the digressing. So, yeah, I, I, the know, I know front, that story, unfortunately, yep. Uh, the, but there's a strong case for we need... I sort of sometimes think in some kind of fantasy land that you can have black, brown, red, white dogs, um, small, medium and large, long-coated, short-coated, um, uh, slightly shorter face, longer face, um, uh, certain sizes, et cetera, et cetera. And you could do... I love the fact that your dogs are getting involved in this conversation. It's hilarious. You're having to make an excuse for them. Um, they are probably saying that's long enough on the, uh, talking to Carrie. But, but the, um, uh, and I sometimes think we could be doing such an, we need great pets. Yes. We need dogs that are just fantastic. I think I would love, I mean, nothing thrills me more than seeing a brilliant border collie doing their job or Saluki doing their job in the desert or, um, a, a, you know, a German Shepherd being brilliant at what they do. Yeah. Selective breeding has produced some incredible dogs doing incredible things. But the demand now is less for dogs doing the job of work um, and um more for being really good pets because that's what we want them for we sort of need them as a brilliant yeah. pets because they are filling or fulfilling a part of our life that is perhaps missing um well, these mean, days know, and we know that we can do this you know um cockers are a great example because a show cocker and a working cocker are very different a show cocker as a pet dog is absolutely brilliant a working cocker mm. as a pet dog, if you do not have an active home and you're not prepared to put a shit ton of work into that dog, you're basically going to live with a feral gremlin. We know oh. that I've just done a whole episode with Jane Arden about cockers, so it's... Oh, okay, because... because uh, yeah, well, that's quite interesting. Yeah. with the cockers on this podcast, do not worry. Jane has educated us well. Uh, well, but, that's, I, I should listen to that one, because, I mean, Oscar is a showbred. Um, and we do get, I'm afraid, a lot of, um, not a lot, and I'm, uh, this isn't science, but mm-hmm. in the t- with, with my team here, there is, oh my God, not another bitey cocker. 
and mm-hmm. they're all showbread, not working bread. But is this um, person maybe more worried about confirmation and colour and size and type rather than temperament? This dog has been very interesting to watch because I'm much more familiar with working cockers um, mm-hmm. because of where I live um, and I love them and I like, you know, the, the lovely, active, moderate dogs in terms of, you know, confirmation and coat and everything else. Yes. Poor Oscar, who can't really be handled, is, not, is increasingly struggling with a coat that I can't get near um, because he's been bred to have too long ears and too fluffy coat and et cetera, et cetera. And his paws at the moment look like footballs. So um the and he's probably as a result going to have to be sedated to to get that off and just clip which, off like literally yeah, just clip him naked yeah, and start again yeah. yeah but of course you know he it's you know going to grow sadly but it's been very interesting to see him being uh, increasingly a dog in uh, he's only been with me for about 10 days and he is uh increasingly being more of a dog and he is using his nose and he's starting to go in water which he didn't do so it's there um but that um but anyway i'm sort of digressing but because i i see when you're breeding uh, there's been too much emphasis on looks and not enough on stability and robustness and general temperament we all want something slightly different i mean i am bored you know oscar as a dog as a show cocker doesn't do it for me I mean he's a sweet little man and I will mm-hmm. do, do my best by him um but he's not enough dog for me you know I like big rangy very mm-hmm. active um very bright dogs and cock and and, and Oscar's not that mm-hmm. um uh, but um so there's we all need something different and we need that variety um I just hope that we'll be able to just take stock of a bit more as we keep going on and also as you say we've got a whole big dog world there's so many problems with it you know we've got children being killed we've got um you know the training world in absolute disarray uh, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't get me on that no 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 i know i know well i deal you with can it all imagine the time. how i feel about that soapbox i'm like just don't be a dick to dogs there we go yeah yeah, I mean, it is oh, it's so hard. And I just, yeah. I've got another bitey cocker that uh, is about to be put to sleep, but not with us, but I'm just trying to help. And so I put up a sort of last chance saloon, wanting some but expert again, help with the dog. You know, this, and, you know, this is not the, a breed that I remember being a bitey breed, but it seems like the last decades, they have become increasingly so. It's because it's a knee jerk bite as well. Yeah. It's not, uh, he got me on day three um uh, not too bad but um he, he definitely got me and it was a knee jerk it was my fault I had overhandled but um he but yeah no it's a sort of they're not asking questions and it's without warning um so is isn't it but is it because his and I know we're kind of like to, but same about what there's always a warning the problem is is when dogs have had the warning suppressed yep um, yep. I worked with a with a beautiful little Pomeranian. Actually, couldn't be groomed either. Also had lots of knots and was in a lot of discomfort in rescue um, when he came in. He had had every single warning told off. He had had yeah. every single warning punished to the point where his warning was a split second lip lick and then he would yeah. nail you. Because yeah. he'd stop growling because growling didn't work. He'd stop lip curling because lip curling didn't work. He'd stop, he'd skip that whole ladder of aggression 
yeah. and had just because done... he'd been punished for it. No, exactly. You know, they'd taken the batteries out of the smoke alarm. It's so exactly it... that to quote Dr. Dunbar. You know, it's yeah. it just it frustrates me so much. But again, this is where surely when we're talking about it from a breeder level, we should be looking at temperament being at the forefront, you know, and I've had some absolutely amazing breeders on here that um, so in Australia, your dogs, um, your dogs actually have three tests that they have to go through yeah. before they are recognized as being um, able to be bred from, they have to do a temperament confirmation and also an activity test to make yes, sure they it, are fit for function. And it's but the same in Sweden and Finland. Yeah. But in Scandinavia as well, the dogs have to have a mentality test. Yes. Um, and um, I'm not sure if it's actually every breed, but, um, you know, certainly for some like collies, etc., it it it's definitely in but there and you can't breed otherwise. Every breed. Yeah, it, it should be. I completely agree with you. It absolutely should be. You know, but every then, single breed, no matter how much we fucked around with them, the the aim of every breed is for the dog and handler, the dog and owner, the dog and caregiver, the dog and parent to be a team together. The, the amount of conflict there is now in households because people aren't reading the dogs, the dogs don't know how to explain to the people. Like the pandemic had such a massive raise in first time dog owners, like a huge amount of people that had never ever had, not even growing up, they'd never been rounded dogs before and all of a sudden they got these dogs. And unfortunately you had shit breeders selling these first time people, shit bred puppies. And no, it is a massive problem. Fall out of it, and you just go for fuck's sake! What are we doing? We're meant to be a nation of dog lovers. Why are we fucking them up so much? I don't know how we are. I don't know how we do it because I don't know how, what the solution is. Because unfortunately, the, we're never going to be in a situation where the, 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 there's so many negatives. If we went okay, well, you can only breed dogs if you're licensed and you do this and you do that. Yeah. You know, you know. That's not going to work either. Licensing doesn't always bloody work because we've. And seen also, that. there's some ridiculous rules that can bring out what, you know, for instance, that you could, oh, what stupid rules, but you could only breed pedigree dogs. Well, that's stupid. Yeah. Um, we, you know, ultimately in my, my fantasy future, the Kennel Club is a registry for all dogs. It isn't just for purebred dogs because increasingly, we, you know, we might want to actually go, do you know what? We need to put a bit of stability back into the show, Cocker. Um, and we're yeah. seeing too much of this sort of knee-jerk bitiness. Um, this is an example, and I'm not saying it's the yeah, case. Yeah, 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 no, but it's, it's I'm just example. using it as, a, as, a, as an example. Um, so, okay, so what could we do to perhaps bring back, um, just try and take that out a bit? Um, yeah, well, maybe maybe you could stick Cavalier in. You know, it's a Spaniel breed, etc. People will be fainting all over the place at this, but um, ultimately, we should be breeding dogs. We should be breeding brilliant dogs that are confirmationally sound and have amazing temperaments and absolutely fulfill the need for what they're looking for at without too much of a cost to themselves. It doesn't sound like a huge thing to ask for, but of course, at the moment, it is. It, you know, this is we're not just talking brachycephalics. There is, there are many other breeds. If you look in depth at almost all these breeds, mm -hmm. most of them have paid a cost, either in disease risk mm -hmm. or in confirmation. I mean, I constantly 
put up comparison pictures on Cruffer of many different breeds. You know, recently we featured the Chow, which looked like a you know completely normal Spitz dog and has now been turned into Paddington Bear. Um, yeah, which is heartbreaking because so, they were always the really cool fluffy things with the black tongues, and now it's like, what is that? Absolutely, they you know they've look got these like a dog anymore. No, yeah, like Sharpays, they are so over skinned. Like my dogs, I there's a couple near me, and I'm sure they're very sweet dogs, but because of their conformation, the way they appear to other dogs is not polite. So this is no. the other, this is the other side of it. You know, I had real problems um, with Dodge when he was younger with Frenchies because naturally Frenchies, their stance and because the lack of tail and the way their ears are and all yep. this, they look like they want to row. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. I mean, all my dogs, we very rarely see Brachyphalics around here. Hmm. So I'm in the middle of Wiltshire. Oh, but I'm on the edge it, of London, so we have a lot around here. Right, so you've got lots, but um, but um, uh, you know, they they just don't. They barely recognise them as dogs. Uh, honestly, I'm not exaggerating. They sort of go, and they sort of, you know, when dogs sort of go, Oop, and just sort of detour around a dog yeah, and don't like, look at it. That's yeah. a bit odd. Yep. Yeah, that, but that's what mine like do. Dogs, they don't look like dogs. So, it's that old saying, isn't it? If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. But the thing is, these these brackies, some of them don't particularly look like dogs, especially to your gun dogs, you know. Yeah, yeah. no, they they, it's really weird. They don't like dogs either. It's very difficult. You know, the signalling, we've robbed them of the signalling. I mean, the stupid thing is that bulldogs and French, they used to have tails. I mean, yeah. how did they lose that? How did they breed yeah. the fucking tail off a dog? Yeah. I mean, it's just, they've bred the face off, they've bred the tail off. I mean, and how did you we lose have a tail? breeds in like um, Australia, um, Aussies, they have a bobbed tail. They do. You know? They do. Um, oh, some but do. The rest some... of the dog looks like any other kind of pastoral breed that's going to be working a herd of sheep or bringing in some cows or doing that other stuff or doing sport, which is what a lot of the pastorals do now even though they don't have a tail. Now, I like a tail on a dog because you know what helps them balance? This is coming from a sport dog point of view. When yeah. I watch Dodge going around a course, when he needs to break, his tail goes at a full 90 degrees and it's like he's just put a handbrake on as he and goes I... around the corner. He uses his tail to balance. Yeah, to balance. So, so absolutely when we've taken do. that tail away, you're you're in pen, you're making that dog's life even harder. I just want to circle back as well when we were talking about nostrils. The thing that popped into my brain as a dog trainer: dogs predominantly see the world through their olfactory system. Yeah. How can a dog see the world through its olfactory system when its olfactory system is so impaired because it hasn't got freaking nostrils? Well, do you know the amazing thing is is that there are conflicting research studies on this. And one actually found that pugs did very well in um, olfaction tests. Mm -hmm. um, so I my feeling is that the um, brain anatomy that helps process smell is uh, largely intact in these dogs. Yeah. And they have such an amazingly superior sense of smell to us anyway, probably yeah. are getting information from the world. And in the sense that, you know, a colorblind person, even, even if they're not, you know, colorblind person, 
you know manages okay i think mm-hmm. um i mean i a lot of um brachycephalic owners whose dogs have had surgery to open up their nostrils do report that their dogs are much more sniffy afterwards and then and really enjoy sniffing in a way that they didn't before that's anecdotal but i wouldn't yeah. be surprised if uh, it makes obviously a, a, a because I mean the thing is even if you said um and this is just me making up a number I don't have any science behind this but we know that um bloodhound example is the extreme so they have like 300 million scent receptors average dog is 150 to 200 million scent receptors so if we were kind of a bit sort of stingy on them with the bracky breeds and said they had 50 million that's still 45 million more than we have but it's almost like we've given them this superpower and then put blinkers on it. Um, absolutely. No, I completely agree. I and th- that's I, made me kind yeah. of go, that's really sad because one of the best dogs I had doing some work in class was a pug and it was super tenacious and he had a great game. But I wonder how much better that dog would have been. And he but- actually did end up having the surgery um, and unfortunately they they moved away and they didn't carry on coming to class but i would have loved to have seen that dog doing scent work after it had had the surgery because i reckon that he would have gone from being quite good to actually freaking extraordinary because he loved the game so much and it is blinkered them and that makes me really sad as well and it makes me sad that the breeders think it's okay for the dogs to they're surviving, aren't they? Not thriving. Um, I, I, I feel less strongly than you about that because I think that the dogs, you know, he obviously was enjoying the scent work and mm. um, and he was getting pleasure out of it. So my feeling is that, um, you know, it's not, a, it's a fun skill, but I'm sure I don't expect that it materially impacts their quality of mm-hmm. life in the way that other decisions we make as breeders on our dogs yeah. and the selections where it does so at the moment you've bred a you know dwarfism into a dog on a brachycephalic or corgi or whatever you are handicapping the dog yeah it is a handicap now where as i said where you draw the line is a really hard one and everyone will put their lines in different places for me air hunger is you know there's just not even a single question about it and it I find it extraordinary that people who profess to love their dogs can continue to um, allow their dogs to endure that. And Um, I think that's a really good way of explaining it because I've never actually heard that phrase before. And that has really made me go, oh, I've never thought of it like that. Which phrase? Which phrase? Air hunger. That that to me just made me go, oh my God, like, that's horrific because we all understand what it's like to feel hungry but we know that like the fact is okay every single living being on this planet dies from lack of breath and when you're breeding animals that can't breathe that must be you know saying that they they struggle with sleeping and and i know again from the training point of view Dogs that are not getting enough enough sleep have behavioural issues because like people that don't get enough sleep, sleep deprivation is shit. 
you know, there's a reason why we train military to cope with sleep deprivation because it's It's a torture. To be raising an animal that is going to experience that sensation through its whole lifetime because we want it to look a certain way, it's not okay, is it? It isn't okay, and even though some of them will do will do okay, I think because there are so many that don't, for me, that crosses an ethical line. But that that goes back to my comment of whether they're surviving or thriving, and we should be wanting all of our animals, every every animal in our care, should be thriving. They shouldn't yeah. just be surviving. The owners will say that their dogs are playful and they have a good time and, and you know, they're, you know, living dog lives in the sense that they are, you know, they get cuddles and they get fed and they get taken out for walks. And uh, we do see some of these dogs. But meeting the five skateboarding and freaking thriving. <laughs> you could argue that the dogs don't know that you know as i said all selective breeding has an impact on quality of life sometimes enhancing sometimes doesn't it's just where do you draw the line and it is you know up for discussion that that where do you for instance like let's think about the uh english bull terrier um which never used to have a head like a sheep it used to be look like well more of a pit bull actually i guess Mm -hmm. um and but they're still distinct from the pit bull and now they've been bred with these ridiculous faces that make them look like a, a sheep which is a, a huge indignity to uh, uh, impose on a dog that actually is pretty feisty um and uh, would consider itself you know <laughs> you know a bit you know pretty decent dog to suddenly have to be put up with people laughing at it because it looked like a sheep but uh, you know you can't absolutely prove that that it is a deformity you know if a golden retriever appeared like that you'd just go oh my god get it to a vet in the same way that if a golden retriever an egg? yeah yeah, uh, like, I, uh, yeah i'm not gonna i i quite like a, a bull terrier um Me too. I've, I've been around a lot of them um i i quite like the miniatures as well you know i think they're a cool little breed but it yeah. is like, well, how have we gone from that head that was much more terrier-like? That's right, yeah. To the shape it is uh, now. And can I tell you what it was? It was actually down. It happened in a, between sort of 1910, 1920. Mm-hmm. And it was a breeder that started winning well with less stop in their dogs. And then this extraordinary phrase about egg-shaped came into the standard. Now, the egg shape is supposed to be how you look at the dog from the front. So it's a oh. sort of oval, yeah. but it sort of became transcribed to how you look at the dog as in profile. As their yeah, whole so Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it, egg shape never was in the, the very early standards. It's crazy. Um, so it is crazy, but I mean, it's hard to prove that there's, um, there's uh, 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 th- there are some emerging um, science now to say that there are issues, but you see, so... Uh, are we okay to deform these dogs or reform these dogs? Perhaps yes. I should take the heat out of it yeah, by yeah. saying, taking out the D, um, to, uh, you know, because we like to do that. Well, you know, we like to put AstroTurf in our gardens and, you know, kill everything underneath. And we like to um, have a beautiful car that uses up a lot of, 
resources natural resources of the planet well we are all reconsidering this now we're considering our impact and it can't be just on you know with wildlife it's destroying habitat Mm -hmm. um uh there is uh, you know there are some extraordinary figures that uh, are coming out about the impact that we've had on wildlife and how many species we've lost as a result of it now in dogs, we ended up you know, more diversity and more variety than, you know, they are the most diverse species on earth now. Yeah. And, and that's through us, but we have a responsibility to make sure that that is good, as good for them as it is for us. So I will continue to bat on to argue for a rethink. And I think it might help because as I said at the beginning of this, that my focus is extending somewhat into saying we need to reconsider how we're shaping all animals that are under our selection and that goes for everything from uh, dairy cows through to hamsters to rabbits to horses etc you know we have done extraordinary things to help feed us entertain us and um, nurture us to the animals under our care. But we have a responsibility. So I I hope that with, uh, uh, we're living in an age where we are more aware of all these issues and we've, you know, conscious of wildlife, conscious of the earth itself and its resources. Well, you know, the horses and the dogs and the rabbits and the cows and the everything, they're all nature's resources too. And we need to be taking more care of all of them. Yeah, no, definitely. So, Jemima, if people want to know more, um, Cruffer has a Facebook page. Um, Yep, Cruffer has a Facebook page and um, uh, it's known for being pretty heated. (laughs) I never wanted wanted Cruffer to be an echo chamber. Um, So I uh, very rarely remove or block people unless they're being incredibly irritating and stupid um so as a result i always felt that the energy that would come out of debate even if it goes tits up sometimes is possibly quite a good one and i think the people actually engaging in that little scrap um don't get much out of it at the end of the day it's completely pointless but i think there are people on the sidelines that learn and we, we have an extraordinary mix there from, you know, what I would call a freak, freak breeders, deliberately breeding for money, yeah. through to um, some of the world's top scientists yeah. um, who are also looking in there. I feel it's become, uh, you know, this, this good no, centre. It, it is people. a very, very interesting group, and there are, there are lots of reasons. I've definitely learned some things in there, and as you say, I've seen some horror stories, but also there's been some really good information Um which I really like. Um, obviously, if people kind of, you know, anyone that has any links to advertising and stuff, try and get them to use breeds that are moderate and not freaking extreme. And, you know, also if you're, you know, a consumer and you're looking at buying your next, your next dog, whether it's pedigree or a mixed breed, just don't go to a shit breeder. <laughs> just yeah well well that is a massive problem i mean we at, at the moment have no way for the public to identify a good no, breeder because, because they're, they're not always who you think they are can we just and say now a kennel club breeder does not mean that they're a good fucking breeder 
Well, they, it doesn't. Um, uh, there are some good breeders there, but there yes. are also some of the worst as well. How does the consumer do this? I have no idea. And as a result, they end up buying crap puppies yeah. because, the, you know, we live in a world where you're not allowed to sell a shit fridge. Um, and so when you can buy any fridge, pretty much, and it'll mm -hmm. work. Um, but you, we don't have any of those safeguards with dogs. And there is a massive demand. And, yeah. you know, the, the sort of breeders that I would consider incredible and amazing, a very tiny number. And so therefore, you know, we're having to produce, I can't remember how many it is, a million dogs a year to replace the ones we've got or whatever it is. Um, you know, there's no hope of good uh, people being able to source a, a good breeder. Yeah, and there's For most probably people, a couple of, maybe a, a few thousand of those are decent breeders and the rest yeah. are either backyard or puppy farm or just just shit it, it is it is incredibly difficult i thought i thought at one time i should set myself up as somebody who would source well-bred puppies for people um uh, because i can see through a breed i can see through a breeder in nanoseconds because uh -huh. i know all the you know the rubbish phrasing and the lies that they yeah. use and you know even people who would say oh we're top this top that well you'll find that even some of the top bulldog breeders who are slagging off the color breeders and the extreme breeders they're not doing all the health testing on their dogs mm -hmm. you know bulldogs absolutely have one of the highest rate of hip dysplasia out of all breeds oh i Almost, didn't know that that's interesting. oh yeah they're, they're completely terrible joint obviously i've i'm i'm well in that hip dysplasia rabbit hole so I've yeah 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 of, i can imagine with your, and understandings with your dogs, on that that's actually that genuinely shocked me but that okay that's a fact that's good to know well mm. the, they will say bulldog breeders say though it doesn't apply to their dogs because they want that rolling gait well how the, how are they achieving that rolling gait most um the there have been very very few bulldogs hip scored in the uk and most of them are absolutely appalling. I mean, I think probably only 30 bulldogs have been hip scored in the last 15 years in the UK. But in oh, America, wow. there are more bulldog breeders do hip score because it's more culturally driven out there to do so. And well, they you're more like got... sued out there, aren't you? Let's face it. Well, there's other tests that they're, you know, they're not yeah. doing, but um, but uh, they've got, I think, the, the second worst hip dysplasia of any breed. We're constantly seeing bulldogs with bad wow. hips. So, um, but, but they won't put their dogs under anaesthetic to do the scoring. Because they won't survive it, potentially. Well, in truth, anaesthesia is an awfully lot safer than perhaps oh some yeah no of course it is and yeah, you know yeah. we're all putting our labradors and german shepherds under to be to be scored um i understand the reticence of bracky breeders but if you've got to you you have to ask yourself some tough questions if your dog is not you if you can't sedate your dog to tap to look at its joints and this is the thing they don't have to be completely knocked out either they can just be sedated because um there's um a big imaging center um down in southampton that all the all the sports dogs people that i know around me because obviously i'm south they all go to this imaging specialist to get their hip, their dog's hips x-rayed you know i had dodged I, I, on yeah. at the vet because he needed to be knocked out because he's dramatic but 
they don't even have to have their dog knocked out to have their hip scored. So that's a bullshit excuse straight away. Well, I think the problem with black stacks is actually um, a GA is safer for them than sedation. So I think I, now I oh. might, you'll probably get people saying, do you mind me wrong on that? And, and, oh, and well, never like, mind. And I might be. But um, so, so yeah, but there is, I mean, they do have to either sedated or GA for it to be done. Yeah. Um, and they don't want to do it um for for reasons that they are more they are more vulnerable and at the same time that most of their bitches are having c-sections to deliver the pups too well, exactly <laughs> no. exactly i was just gonna say that but hang on don't <laughs> they need surgery to have a child like yeah. oh right okay so do my <laughs> Thank you so so much. We've we've chewed a lot of facts today, and I appreciate. We have, it. yeah. Um, no, it's been and... brilliant. Thank you. I really appreciate it. So, um, people can go on Facebook, join the Crawford group. Um, you're on yeah. Twitter. Um, well, actually, yeah, Twitter minimally, but under my own name. Right, um, okay. There is a profile on Twitter, but I don't keep it up. Um, mm -hmm. And um, my blog is the Pedigree Dogs Exposed blog. Eight million page views. I am um, amazing. So, guys, you know, if, if there's a breed and you're thinking, hmm, I want to know more, like it's it's a good resource because it's good to know the, yeah. the good and the bad of the breeds, um, yeah. and not just the good stuff. And actually, so I've met a few breeders that have told me all the reasons why I don't want their dog before they've told me the reasons I do. And you know what? Those would be the breeders that I would be interested in going back to and saying have yeah. you got any litters due because i want to know all the bad shit before we get into the cute fluffy stuff there are also breeders that are now using that gambit to convince you they're a good breeder though so as i said it's, <sighs> it's an absolute minefield out there i have to say i mean if you're if you're going for a functional breed um you know yeah. the you obviously your, your odds are of, of getting a a, a sound dog are much yeah. greater if you're not choosing one that is absolutely fucked by design in the first place yeah no no definitely so guys um jemima thank you so so much My that pleasure. was brilliant um yeah that was a good episode i really enjoyed that thank you um until oh. next time you can obviously follow my dogs on social media, um, Instagram at Dog Shepherd at Minx Chihuahua and all the Facebook stuff for Canine Hoopers World. So until next time, guys, stay safe, be kind, wash your hands thoroughly, keep your dogs on lead around livestock and don't let them lick toads. Take care, guys. Bye. www.caninehooperswild.com Canine Hoopers World now has achievement awards online so anyone anywhere can test their teamwork and get one of our beautiful rosettes there's even one for puppies the website will tell you more about that and hoopers how to find an instructor we also offer online training there are beginners courses we offer online training in distance handling and there are instructor courses for dog trainers Join us on Facebook. We have a friendly international group and follow us on Instagram at Canine Hoopers World. Canine Hoopers World, everyone's invited.